0: Hi, this is Pastor Rick. Welcome to On Demand. I believe that On Demand is absolutely fantastic because it puts the Word of God in your hand when you want it. We're going to talk about maturity today, starting a brand new series. It's called What Maturity Demands. If you're going to live in this new world, which is the theme for the year, you have to be mature. That's one of the requirements. You have to be a big boy, a big girl. And I want to show you one of the first things that maturity requires, the ability to be isolated when there's nobody around, just you by yourself. I've talked about this before, but I want to shine another light on it today because I want you to understand that in order for God to get you to where you're trying to get to, He has to isolate you sometimes. You can't have all those friends. You can't have all those people hanging around you. Sometimes He just needs you and Him to work it out. So stay right there. Enjoy today's message. I'll come back and pray for you at the end. Stay right there. Today's theme is new. We're starting a brand new series called What Maturity Demands. And what I want to do is I want to take this sermon and I want to put it in the context of the year for a minute. Because all year long, I promise you, we're going to talk about one theme. I try to answer one question a year. And throughout the year, I answer it with 12 different answers. Right? So I'm trying to show you really more like 10 or 11. And I try to show you how to look at that one question. So the question is, how do you live in a new world? That's the question. And I believe the world is new. Now, some people don't think that. Some people think it's going to go back and be the same way it was. Everything's going to be, and I don't believe it is. Churches already were facing huge changes. I mean, declines in attendance, declines. It's just massive. And the way people view a lot of things has changed. So the question is, how do you live in this new world? And I gave you a list of things, and we've been talking about them, so let me go back over them. This is kind of like a review of the year so you can get caught up, okay? We're going to end up where we are today, which is, One of the things you need in a new world is maturity. Okay, that's where we're going to end up today. But let me go back and give you a few months of what we talked about earlier. Ready? Number one. The first thing we talked about was home training. I said if you're going to live in a new world, you need training. You need good, basic, good old down-home training. It helps you prepare for this new world because things are going to always be changing. Number two, we talked about the importance of managing your resources. You need to save money, you need to rest, you need to learn, take care of yourself. You need a lot of resources in order for you to live in the new world. If you don't manage your resources, if you don't manage your money, you're going to have a hard time. If you don't manage your, 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 your body, if you're exhausted, I am anti-exhaustion. I believe in working hard, but I believe in resting. I believe in learning, if I'm not a learning person. All those are my resources. And if I manage those resources well, I believe that I'll do better in, in, in the new world. Thirdly, I said, you have to not only do that, you have to learn in this new world to manage your expectations. You need to be careful of what you allow to become your dream. Sometimes your expectations is why you're depressed. You're only depressed because you thought you should be here and not here. Well, adjust your expectations. Are you saying dream down? I'm saying think it over again. Reset the clock. You didn't have to get there by the time you're 25. You can wait till you're 26, 36. Why are you in such a rush? Take a moment to breathe. I should be married by now. Who says that? Why? Why should you be married? Marriage may not be for you the good thing right about now. So think about that for a minute. So manage your expectations. You have to be trained, right? You have to manage your resources. You have to manage your expectations. And then number four, you have to tell the truth. <laughs> I have another sermon coming down the pike soon here on truth because it is such a thing that we need. and It really is. You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Speak the truth in love, the Bible says. You need to learn how to tell the truth. The truth can set you free. Knowing the truth empowers you in ways that nothing else will. And we talked about that. Then we had a sermon called, you, need to, you must invest. You must invest. You must make wise investments. If you invest in the wrong things in your life, in this new world, you're going to waste time, waste your life. And I see people do this all the time. They make investments in things they don't understand. They make investments in things that they don't know. Warren Buffett said, don't invest in stuff you don't understand. Learn what it is before you invest in it. A lot of people invest in things that they don't quite get. I watch this a lot with college students. I ask them, what do you want to be? And, and I want to be a baker. Have you ever worked in a bakery? No, you haven't been around a baker. No, do you know a baker? Can you bake? No, okay, well, maybe, maybe, maybe you should first learn to do that, then see if you want to invest in it. Invest the time in learning before you do it. People want to be a preacher. Why? So you can get up here and preach, right? Is that what you want? Yes, I want to preach the word. I want to share the gospel. Yeah, it's more than 80% of my job is not preaching. 80% of my job is management, especially as it grows. It's not about just preaching. There's a whole lot of stuff to coordinate, and I'm thankful that I have great staff, and so they do a whole lot of stuff for me, but my responsibilities goes way beyond preaching. And with the staff help, even with the staff help and all, it still is it's still 50%. going to be management. A lot of it's management. And so think about that. All right? Make sure you understand what you're investing in. Numbers, number. next thing we, invested, we talked about was theology. So you need good home training, right? You need to have good resources. You need to manage your expectations. You need to know the truth. You need to invest properly. And you need to have, number six, good theology. Good theology. Which means you need to understand the God you, you, you serve need to make sure your your view of him is right if your view of him is wrong you'll impose things on people that that he really didn't want you to impose on people theology has to do with a study of God it's your it's your, it's your view of God it's your uh, interpretation of how God wants you to live it's how you see him how you understand him to be if I can make that that's not a perfect statement but you get the point point. and so a person's theology drives everything if you think your theology says you got to be in church all day, you're in church all day. If you think you need to preach for... Th- for an hour and a half, you can talk for an hour and a half because your theology says it's necessary. If your theology says that men are better than women, then you treat women like they're not that good. If you think children are quiet, and you should beat them and not spare the rod because that's what children are for, to be be the servants of adults. And so you treat children with no respect. You don't think about them. When you build church buildings, you build one big room for the adult people, and you build a teeny-weeny rooms for children because that's how—that's your theology. You think that's what God, how God wants you to treat children. You, you know, you're doing this. Crisis season, you know, your focus is only on adults, and you don't care what happens to the children. You know, well, we don't have anything for the children right about now, so how long has that been? And do you care? I mean, think about that. That says a lot about your theology. Our theology here is totally different. I believe the kids should be first. I believe that what you do to the least of these, you do to me, Jesus said. There's something powerful. Look at your budget. How much do you spend? Why don't you have a full? Some of you churches could afford a full-time youth person, and you don't have one. Why? Why, 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 why? Because it's just not a priority. Your theology says it's not important. Your theology says a lot about everything, how you treat your pastor, how you talk to him, how you pay him, all that kind of stuff. You know, you poor guy working for you full time and you don't even have health care for him. Help me understand that. Your theology, deacons, ah, bad theology. It's the theology of the church that shows up in all kinds of ways. You know, it, disrespecting people's time, keeping them forever. Uh, 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 I mean, good God almighty. I mean, they might as well live in the church. You, you're there so much. It's like a, you need a tent and a sleeping bag. You never get to go home. And you're always, you, you, okay, stop, time out, I know. I'm, I'm not harping on church, it's too bad. I'm a pastor, I like church. I'm a, you know, I, I got a church, right? But I'm just saying, my theology affects how I do things. It affects my approach. And sometimes the problem is our theology. And when we understand the God that we love, we make better decisions. Brings me to our current sermon series, maturity. If you're going to live in a new world, not only must you have a good theology, you must have, watch this now, mature attitude how mature are you are you a childish person what do you mean by that pastor well that's that I said are you childish are you the kind of person who basically uh, if I measured you by um, a big boy standard big girl standard you're pretty whiny you are not optimistic you are what I called the other week naively optimistic right Um, God's going to heal me, I'll be strong, I'll be this, but you are eating everything and anything you want. You're doing anything and everything you want. God's going to bless my home. You're never home. You're never home, preacher. You're always gone someplace. How can God bless your home? You're not there. I, I I want you to think about this for a minute. The people around you, okay, let's say your family, let's start with them, is this what they signed up for? Being around you, is it fun, is it exciting? My little girl told me one time, I said yeah, I used to ask my kids, you know, so how am I doing as a dad? And one time Christina, of course, said, uh, and Ricky had his moment too. Both of them kind of gave me a review. Uh, I haven't done it lately. Maybe I should. I don't know. I might ask them names. But anyway, here's what, here's what she said. She said, uh, I said, how am I doing as a dad? She says, ah, oh, you're, you're not fun like you used to be. I said, I'm not fun? What do you mean? So this is when she was younger. And she says, well, you, know, you used to. You used to she gave me some illustrations and I said, okay, I, gotta work, I have to work on that. And there, there are things that I as a dad, I as a pastor, man, I have to think about, husband. I have to think about where I am and f- make sure I'm not being naively optimistic. The truth is, it's not like what I think it is. It's not. I'm gonna get off this for a minute. I'm gonna make a point. Some of you have jobs, right? Hope you do. If you don't have a job, it's interesting what you think you're like as an employee, and what your boss thinks. Your boss may say you're a terrible employee because all oh, you do is come on a job and preach to people. You don't do your job. You just always complain. I mean, you're just this, you're always, always, always edgy in staff meetings. You're you're just mean and grumpy, or you're just dis- distant. You don't comment. You, you know. Uh, if they knew what they know now about you, would they hire you again? And, and you don't even ask. As I, remember, I remember one time I got written up on a job, right? I was late. And a guy wrote me up. And I remember, <laughs> I remember when he wrote me up, right? He said, uh, tell when you don't come to the office, you're, you're tardy, so I'm going to write you up today. And, and I just went into the office with a spiritual attitude. The devil is a liar. Hallelujah. I didn't say it out loud, but I said it in my head. You know, I said it under my breath. devil is a liar. The devil's not going to steal my joy today. Here's the question. Were you late, dude? Yes. Why were you late? Uh, no, don't blame the devil. You didn't go to bed at night, because I like to stay up late, and you're tired. So you're late. It's your fault. You're always late. You know, so I learned. I learned from that experience. There's something about moments in your life when you realize, man, man, I'm not really being mature here. And I'm naively optimistic that things are going to be fine. That they're not going to fire me. Well, God didn't promise you that. If you don't do your job, God didn't promise you those people don't have to keep you. I live with this awareness that I'm privileged to be the pastor of this church. I, I, I live with this great awareness that if I don't do a good job, that, you know, they, they'll stop liking me. They'll stop liking the church. And then, and, and, you know, one day they may say, we need to get rid of that dude. That dude has gotten to be boring, people. And <laughs> I live with this real awareness. I need to be a good steward. I need to try my best. I need to be honest. And if I'm not, here's the word again, I'm naively optimistic, naively optimistic. Mm, some of you, we can be that way. Well, let me get to where we are today. Acts chapter 1, okay? All that is a preview. Here we go. Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 takes us to our first example, and there's only one simple thing I want to read to you. Chapter 1, verse 7 through 9. Jesus has risen from the grave, and he's now about to leave the disciples alone. They're about to feel really isolated. This is the moment where they're standing there, and they're looking up, and they're asking him questions. And listen to what he says, Acts chapter 1, verse 7. He said to them, It's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set, by his own authority. In other words, I'm not going to tell you when I'm coming back. That's that's what he says, pretty much. I'm leaving now and I'm not giving you a date certain when I'm coming back. But you will receive power. Here's what I promise you. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, I'm I'm going to empower you. I'm going to give you spiritual strength. I'm going to spiritually be with you. You'll receive the Holy Spirit and you'll come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the rest ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. Now I'm going to come back and another teaching and talk about this this Holy Spirit thing coming, Holy Spirit, not thing, person coming upon them. And I'll do that not today, but I promise I'll come back to that in a week. So just hang with me, and, and I'll talk more about that next week. But I want to say today, this is the moment they're isolated. They're isolated. So you're going to leave us, right, Jesus? Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Now, I've shared this with you before in a previous teaching, but I want you to think about this for a minute, because this is a mature moment and they are demanded. It's not asked that. It's a demand. You're going to have to learn to be without me. And it's a tough moment when you realize you're going to be alone. So here they are praying. Oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. Now. There's something that happens when you're isolated that doesn't happen when you're in a crowd. And this is what I believe is one of the great teaching tools that can change your view of your life. Ready? So here are three important questions that we need to just think about. What do you really want to do? That will come out when you're isolated. Because what you do, what you're doing, is probably what you want to do. There's a whole lot of this, this, this um, pretending that you want to do stuff. But I want you to think about it. What do you really want to do? If you want to know, look at what you're doing. Number two, what are you doing now that you did not do when supervised? So if somebody was there supervising you, right, you did one thing. But when they left, when you were isolated, you didn't do it anymore. So as long as your friends were exercising and working out, you worked out. As long as your friends were saving, you saved. As long as 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 they went to church, you went to church. When there's no supervision, when your parents can't make you do things, what did you do? That's what you wanted to do. Let's be clear. That's you. You supervise, you unsupervised. When you're isolated, you find out what you're like. When you get your own apartment, it's junky. Hey, that's you. That's you, that's you, that's you. That's, you that's, that's how you live, right there, right right there. What are your, third question, what are your convictions? What are your true convictions? Listen to what you're saying. Nobody's there to edit you. You get to a point in your life where there's nobody there to edit you, and that's what happens here. Jesus is saying to the disciples, hey, guys, I'm leaving you uh, by yourself. You guys now get to prove what you say you believe, and here's what I think's happening. During this season of challenge, boy, are we learning stuff. You know, when America became independent, right, and uh, 4th of July celebrates that independence, we learned a lot about our country. I mean, there's a whole lot we learned. I mean, prior pri- prior to, and I don't mean to dampen anything, okay, prior to 1776, our country had already lived several years with slavery, several years. I mean, it's amazing. It's just... I I love figuring this up. I did it for you the other day, right? Because I think it's important to understand. uh, 1619 is when they say the first slave came, right? They had already lived 157 years with slavery. That was America with British influence. They had 157 Spanish. 157 years had already existed. When they became independent, right, they kept going. They went to 1865, right? So 1865, right? 1865 minus, okay, 1776, all right, that means they went another 89 years with slavery. I mean, I want, you, I want you to think about this for a minute. That's what America thought was okay. Don't get caught up on that. Don't get lost. Here's my point. What you do is what you really want to do, and that's what we need to change. If I want to know Ricky, I have to look at what Ricky does when nobody's around him. It's when I'm not supervised. It's when nobody makes me. It's when it's just me by myself all alone. Then I learn Ricky. And what's scary about that is it's not always pretty. I mean, it's, if you look at my money historically, right, and you go back and you say, well, what did he do when nobody looked? You know, he got too much debt. He allowed allowed himself to owe too many people at times, even though I have a great credit score and all that good stuff, right? Right? Okay. Okay, but the point is, I still didn't save as much as I could have. I still didn't take care of my body as well as I should have. There are things I didn't do. And so the truth is, that's me. That's the me I need to not be naive about. I need to look at that and say, that's me. And I need to mature, grow up, change. I said something to my wife the other day it's hilarious and um <laughs> and she just asked me one question right and I, and I said no I don't do it that way and I, I said something like no 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 and, I, and, I, and it's so funny a couple of days just thought about it I went back to her I said that is ridiculous I'm sorry I, whatever it is you want me to this this whatever we can talk about it whatever. because it, it, it took me a couple of days to grow up And some of us need to grow up. You cuss in, fuss in, what in the world? Come on, pause. And you're educated. You went to school to be this way. You worked hard. You prayed. Some of you, what did you do? What is this? Some of what we're doing, maturity demands we do better. But the problem is you got to face yourself. And sometimes the best way to face yourself is during tough times. Now, the COVID-19 season has been amazing. During that season, COVID-19 happened, there were lessons that we learned, that I learned, that I saw about Christians in general that was amazing to me. There were like um, five lessons that I want to talk about real quick, and then I'm going to let you go. Five lessons, five things that I think became real clear to me about us. I was shocked to learn these things. Here we go. Number one, it taught me, taught us, that some of us place greater value on buildings and gatherings We place greater value on buildings and gatherings. It's all about buildings, buildings, and getting together. We put more value on that than anything else. The scariest thing for me as a pastor was to think I had to close my church down. That was amazing. And I watched guys... I watch women, I watch churches ignore the risk to their people and just kept right on going in the name of faith. Amazing. And just just Google it, how many people got infected in churches? How many people, just Google it, just find it. It's amazing, it's it's easy. In the history, history will record that we cared more about gatherings. We were a necessary entity, so people have to come here. Amazing. Number two, it taught us that some of us are willing to take greater risk despite the dangers to others. We're willing to take greater risk. It didn't matter. It didn't matter. And and I I don't, man, why, why why would I take your life and put it at risk? It just taught me that. I didn't know we would do that. I, I, and I'm being, I'm being honest. I'm not trying to be anything. I, I, I Just being honest. I, I, I was stunned by some of the comments I've heard people make. Even some business owners. I, I know you need to make money. I know you need to stay in business. But people need to live, too. I, I just don't, I don't think that we should ignore. We should work together to solve a common problem. But that, that surprised me. Number three, it taught us that some of us are, are convinced that God belongs to our political party. Now, this really blew me away. I was shocked that so many people would take such strong political positions and make it sound like God is a Republican or God is a Democrat or God is an independent or God is God is like me. God, God believes what I believe. When I look at the political realities of the world, he sees it the way I see it. He's Republican. He's He's, he's conservative. He's whatever. I am. He's, but he's not. he's not. He's not on your side. God is not listening to me. I know you. No, I know. No, listen, Ricky Temple. He's on the side of the word, and I know the word, and the word says, I understand that. I understand that. I understand that. Come on, Temple, be specific. What about abortion? Is God on the side of the abortionists or the anti abortionists For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him. Whosoever, it's a whosoever, for God so loved us when we were yet sinners. You may, and I, I am not for abortion, by the way, just for the record, okay? I, would, I want every baby to live. I have, I, that's my view. But be clear, be clear, be clear. Look at the preacher for a second. That does not mean that God is standing Against everyone who sees the world differently than me. Because if that's the case, you be in trouble. Because most of the world doesn't think like you. And God came, Jesus died, and a lot of sins he never mentioned. He never mentioned them because he came to die for people who, didn't, who did not think like him. And you don't always win people with your sermons and your big hammers and your Pharisee ways. And you, you don't always win people by preaching to them. Sometimes you got to love them where they are. You may not like a gay person. You may struggle with the whole gay lifestyle. I'm straight. i just got a wife, okay? I'm clear. But you got to love people who don't see the world the way you do. And it may be your cousin, your neighbor, and every time you're around them, you can't be saying, are you gay? You can't. Listen, stop, pause. Jesus never preached one message about it. Are you saying you shouldn't? No, I didn't say that. I just said, I'm simply saying to you, you need to pause and understand. He's not always on your side. You got this, very, I'm telling you, it scares me how narrow. And self-righteous, we're more like the Pharisees than ever. Jesus died for lost people. He didn't die for your long dress, your tight thing around your head and your holy walk and your sermons and your church services and your Bibles and all that stuff. He didn't die for your big conferences. He died for sinners. He died for people that are on drugs. He died for people that don't care about God. He died for people like me who didn't go to church all his life. I didn't care what y'all taught in the building because I didn't go until I was about 16. I didn't go to church all ever. And they're dancing and running around. I, nobody care about you. 80, almost 75 to 80% of Americans don't even go to church. How many of your family members go? How many of your cousins go? How many of your second cousins go? We get so self-righteous. Locked into these political arguments with your brothers and your sisters in Christ. Churches are divided. I know, brothers, churches are divided. Especially among my Caucasian brothers. You for Trump. You on that side. Why you ain't preaching on Trump more often? You need to stand up for what's right. And you left your church, flustered at your preacher, divided from your brothers and sisters over somebody that they don't even go to church. I'm not putting him down. I'm just saying, he don't he'll tell you he don't go. I ain't me. I'm just, I ain't putting him down. I'm saying he'll say he don't go. Only time you see him do it, he got a Bible and stood in front of the church. I'm not putting him down. I'm simply saying the truth. He didn't. I'm not, listen to me. I don't care how many preachers get on there and say they're his pastor and leaders. I love all of them. God bless them all. Some of them are my friends, I care about them. But I'm saying to you, how in the world, I'm shocked. I'm stunned. I'm, I, we. Are, I thought we were more mature than that. You got to see the Internet. You got to see the Internet. Ra- Eve Kyle, on the Internet, and you on the online fussing at your sisters and brothers over, over him. He doesn't even go to church. Fussing over some political party. You don't even know these people. Talking down the president. I did not listen. I have respect for the office. I may disagree, but I have respect for the office and the person. I can't believe some of you Christians, some of you things you're saying. Weak Biden. Biden Weak. Biden weak. I need somebody. Let me put you in there. See how mature you are. Let me see what you can solve with the Russian problem. Let me see what you can do about hacking. Let me see what power you have with your saved, sanctified, Holy Ghost, filled self. You, you're so arrogant and don't even see it. You've lost your way and can't even see what you've done. And here's what you're doing. This is the bigger mess you're making. The world's looking at you. You're a light to the world. that cannot be hidden. And all they see is you're sitting over there and you're struggling and you're struggling and you're struggling and you're struggling. And, you're struggling. and they look at you. And they say, you know what? <laughs> I many I go to church, but I, I can recognize immaturity. That's not mature. That's not mature. If you're a Trump fan, when he was wrong, you should told him he was wrong. That's a mature thing. If you love him, if Mr. Trump, you can't do that. Mr. Biden, you can't do that. If you need if you love him, you tell the truth. You speak the truth to power. You do not. You do not. You do not lie for anybody. Maturity. Demands it. Isolating yourself sometimes from people if they won't do what's right. He told the disciples, I'm leaving. Let's see what you really believe now. Let's see what you really think like. The next thing that surprised me this season, it taught, it taught us, taught me that we are convinced that we are superior to those who do not worship like us. <laughs> you really think everybody's not Pentecostal, it's not right. Everybody, a Catholic going to hell, you think everybody is not. A, yeah. Lord Jesus. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, the world. And they're not going to all join your church. They don't want to sit under your pastor. They don't want to all be your friend. They don't want to go to your church. They don't like your church. They don't want to hear your pastor. They want God in their life, and that's okay. And if you're not careful, your focus will be walking around like we're superior. You know, I tell people all the time, the Pharisees killed Jesus. It was the sinners who said, I don't want anything to do with this. I washed my hands, Paul said, I washed my hands of this. It was was religious people who lost their way and became so arrogant that they became the danger to Christ. They're the ones who crucified him. Be careful that you don't have that spirit. We need to all be careful. We need to mature and say, God, help us to not be those kinds of believers. And lastly, it taught us that secular people could easily drive us to division, I'm surprised that you are letting secular networks, people who don't confess to know God at all. You're sitting there arguing. You're arguing from the left and from the right. Secular networks drive your opinion and divide you from each other. That's not good. And that's not what maturity looks like. And next week, I'm going to to show you what maturity looks like. I want to show you what being filled with God and filled with the Spirit looks like. And it's not what you think. Sometimes you think it's running around the building and hanging out in church, and that's all it is. It's way more than that. Be a big boy, be a big girl requires a little more maturity than that. That's next week. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for all we've talked about today. I pray that this has been a helpful moment of pause. Help me grow up. Help us all grow. Help us all look at ourselves and see where we are thank you for the opportunity to be in this place today. I pray for anyone who doesn't know you as Savior. May they say, Jesus, you are my example. Sometimes Christians around us are not, but you, Jesus, died for us. We come to you, surrendering our lives to you, asking you to be the Lord of our life. And we give you all the praise and we give you all the glory for your love and care for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I hope you learned a lot today about yourself. You know, this season of challenges taught us a lot about ourselves, what we fear, what we thought we would do, what our real convictions were. But sometimes you can't see your convictions until you're under pressure. And so I hope you've learned a lot during this season. And I pray this message challenged you to mature. I have more to talk about. I'm going to talk about what maturity looks like next time. But well, let's pray today. Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit would strengthen, give grace, and clarity of vision to those who've heard this message today. And may they say, I'm going to invite what maturity demands into my life. I don't mind being isolated. I don't mind being alone for this season. It's in my best interest that I grow here now this way. And so I speak blessing to those students, those parents, those who are in senior years of their life, wherever they are, they're maturing at a senior level and they have to embrace that and not be afraid. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you grow strong, my friend. I'll see you born next time. I've got more to talk about. See you then. Bye-bye.